DiscerningHearts.com presents Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is a popular author working in the area of church history, especially patristics, the study of the early church fathers. He's the executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, a Roman Catholic research center based in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a contributing editor of Angelus Magazine and general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. He is the author or editor of more than 50 books, including Villains of the Early Church, the book on which this series is based. He has hosted 11 television series on the Eternal Word Television Network and is a frequent guest commentator on Catholic Radio. Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks for having me back, Chris. Okay, we're talking villains of the church, the early church. And this guy was a villain. <laughs> and Well, at least that's how we remember him, Diocletian. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, he's, his name is attached to one of the greatest persecutions in history. Uh, it, was, it was the persecution that began at the end of the third century and ended in the second decade of the fourth century. It lasted a long time, and it was pretty intense. It was considered to be like a holocaust. Christians were persecuted without mercy. Uh, it, it involved a lot of shaming. It involved a lot of uh, confiscation of lands, and people lost their jobs, but also people lost their lives. It was a terrible time. It was overseen by a man who wasn't considered to be a nutcase like Nero. He was considered to be pretty wonky and pretty methodical, a man who was something of a, of a genius at administration. So it, it came as a surprise to the Christians because many of them had kind of relaxed after the persecution of Decius in the third century. They relaxed and they, you know, they thought that things were going to get a little bit easier for them. Uh, there, were, there were Christians at every level of government at this point, and they were enjoying the prestige of their pagan neighbors. It was getting easier for Christians, and sometimes easy is not always a good thing. And then the, the persecution takes us by surprise. Yeah, this is quite stunning. I didn't realize until I read your book, Villains of the Early Church, that he was even considered uh, someone who could have been a hero of that particular era if it were not for this horrific slide. Yes, he doesn't seem to have been an anti-Christian bigot of the raving sort. You know, there was that kind uh, in his time, and he doesn't seem to have been like that. There are rumors that he had Christians in his family. There were there's certainly evidence that he had Christians in his court. What was happening at the time is that the Roman Empire had grown too big for its own good. It was just huge. It was unwieldy. It was almost impossible to administer as a single entity. And so it was becoming unstable. The other problem was that the barbarian peoples were playing a prominent role within the empire as soldiers uh, and hirelings. Uh, and, you know, eventually they, they want to have their own influence. Meanwhile, the, the, uh, the barbarian peoples who were outside the empire were pressing in on the empire. 
you know, testing the borders all the time, trying to advance and uh, and weaken the empire. So there were there was too many distractions for one man to manage successfully. So Diocletian was something of a genius, and he came up with the scheme that would divide the administration of the the empire, this enormous worldwide empire, among four men, and. The, the top positions would be held by by two men, you know, one one guy in the east, one guy in the west, and they would be assisted by a man who would eventually succeed the guy in top position when his years ran out. This was supposed to take care of the problem of succession so that there would not be this constant jockeying for succession and assassination uh, you know, a pattern of assassination that had plagued the empire all through the third century when there was a revolving door during some periods on the imperial palace. So he did a lot to organize things uh, on a grand scale and to stabilize the empire. And he could have been remembered for this. This could have been his great accomplishment that he at last had stabilized the empire. But one day, you know, in the midst of all this administration, one of his uh, his soothsayers was poking at the entrails of an animal, a sacrificial animal, as these soothsayers did. And he said that it was it was hard to read the messages from the gods because of the interference, static, so to speak, from the presence of Christians in the room, because the Christians did not recognize these gods and so were an impediment you know, to the to the work of the soothsayers. This kind of turned Diocletian against the Christians. He began to see the Christians as obstacles to the survival of the empire because they, they would not worship as the others did. Uh, they would not allow the supernatural protection, so to speak, of the emperor by the gods. So he, he turned. He initiated the persecution, started small, you know, uh, a nice little demonstration using the uh, the church that was across the street from, from the imperial palace and demolishing it. But, you know, if you think about it, it shows you just how far the Christians had come, that there could be a church across the street from the imperial palace, and it could stand for as long as it did. That's how free the Christians had become, how easy it had become to be Christian. But as I said, it's not always a good thing for the church when life is easy for Christians. This particular persecution, if I remember correctly, it is about the same time, just to give people a sense of the Christians that were being killed, this was the time that St. Agnes was martyred, was yes. it not? I mean, yes. it, it that story is so compelling in contrast to what this, I'm just going to say it, this maniac. I yes. mean, it'd have, to, it'd have to be classic mania to, to do this type of behavior. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, many of the martyrs that we've come to venerate uh, were martyrs of the Diocletian persecution. Uh, I, I think because because Diocletian made so many martyrs, because he was such a great administrator, he was able to carry out his persecution with a remarkable degree of efficiency and productivity. This was his strength, so to speak, and he was able to carry it out in a bloody way. So, and, and the other thing is that it lasted a long time. It wasn't just a quick one year, 
let's teach them an example sort of it was something that had its peaks and valleys but it was sustained over a number of years more than a decade and closer to two decades is this the same time where the Colosseum, as we understand it, was standing in Rome? Yes, yes. Because I, I think a lot of times when we think of Nero, for example, and the persecution of the Christians, that they were brought in the Colosseum and that there was a, that type of a show. But it wasn't until after Nero that the Colosseum was actually put up. Yeah. And so this is the type of persecution. This would be the emperor that's associated with it, the victims of the Colosseum. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the, you know, the Colosseum went up in the, uh, the late first century. Uh, some of the, the slaves who worked on the construction of the Colosseum were Jews who had been taken as slaves from the time of the Jewish revolt, the time that the temple was destroyed. And so, yeah, uh, according to tradition, St. Ignatius of Antioch was killed in the Colosseum. And that was still fairly early, 107 AD. But it seems that the Colosseum was used for this sort of blood sport for centuries afterwards. There's a legend that uh, when the Eastern Empress asked uh, Pope Gregory the Great to send relics of the Roman martyrs, he sent a bag of sand from the Colosseum when she expressed surprise or dismay at his gift the bag was squeezed and blood came from the sand miraculously because it was so saturated with the blood of the martyrs. So yes, the Colosseum was quite likely the, the site of, of, of some of these incidences of martyrdom. Yeah, I just bring that up to, because I think for many of us, when we, can, we talk about the persecution of the Christians, it's important for us to really have a sense of how horrific this was. And how unjust. I mean, there, there was no justice in this type of persecution. And yet we see that today, don't we, Mike? I mean, maybe not in the United States necessarily, like we've seen in our brothers and sisters who have suffered in the Middle East and in Egypt and northern Africa. You know, what we, ha what we have to understand is at this time in history, there was no such thing as freedom of religion. That just was not an idea that was out there in the conversation. There was no great respect for what we would call today freedom of conscience. There's a great book that just came out recently called Liberty and the Things of God, and it's by Robert Louis Wilkin. And he said that this idea of freedom of conscience in matters of religion was introduced by Tertullian uh, at the end of the second century, the beginning of the third century, in his defense of Christians. He was trying to explain to pagans why they should respect Christians' choices in matters of religion, that we should have this freedom, that coercion in matters of religion and in matters of, of thought and philosophy was an absurdity. You know, you can't really force people to be sympathetic to your point of view. This idea was developed later in the time period of uh, we're talking about now, actually during the reign of Diocletian, by a great author, a convert to the Christian faith, named Lactantius. He was a great uh, rhetorician, a great teacher of that time, who was very, very well respected, but he worked out this idea of liberty of conscience in matters of religion, and uh, he gave it the form, really, that was picked up at the time of the Reformation in order to argue for freedom of religion, this right that we celebrate today and that we enjoy and that we're trying to protect in our own country. 
We'll return to the villains of the early church and how they made us better Christians with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. From a letter from St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 6. Be strengthened in the Lord in the might of his power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness on high. Therefore, take up the armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil every day and stand in all things perfect. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of justice, and having your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, in all things taking up the shield of faith, with which you may be able to quench all fiery darts of the most wicked one. And take for yourself the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit that is the word of God. With all prayer and supplication, pray at all times in the Spirit, and be vigilant in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is a nonprofit research and educational institute that promotes life-transforming scripture study in the Catholic tradition. Founded by Dr. Scott Hahn and with current Vice President Mike Aquilina, the center serves clergy and laity, students and scholars with research and study tools from books and publications to multimedia and online programming. The St. Paul Center welcomes you to their free online studies. Whether you're studying scripture for the first time, looking to take your studies to a higher level, or whether you're ready for advanced training, you've come to the right place. In addition, for each track of study, they recommend books that will enhance your study and prayer and build your library of essential works in biblical theology and spirituality. The studies are free. Just visit SalvationHistory.com to view a complete library. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, 
the higher our profile and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. Mike, I think it, it can be said that there, when there is this type of an evil, that often it's not just one person, but there's a whole systemic type of feeding into this kind of horror. And in Diocletian's case, he was there was an, another voice in the background talking and manipulating and pushing, and that was he. Uh, here's another villain, Galerius. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. It was within the system that he had devised, you know, that you have uh, people who just, uh, they, uh, again, this idea of freedom of religion was was something foreign to them. This was not something that they believed in. This was not something they held. They really had no qualms about persecuting Christianity. As a matter of fact, they genuinely believed that these Christian ideas were divisive, that they were dividing people from those who worshipped other gods, and they were preventing the gods that you know Rome recognized from receiving the worship that was theirs by right. It's an interesting thought. If you don't have authority in religion, uh, then the emperor becomes the ultimate authority. And that's the way it was in the Roman Empire. Uh, the Who was chief of all the gods in the Roman religion? Well, it was the one who decreed how the gods should be worshipped and which feast days would be celebrated in honor of which gods. And that was the emperor. So if you want to look at who was the one who was over all the gods, it wasn't Jupiter. It wasn't Zeus. It was the emperor because he held that kind of authority to allocate worship to these gods. If you did not sign on to that system of religion, as the, and the Christians did not, then you were considered an enemy of the state. You were considered an enemy of the, the empire. You were considered an enemy of progress. You were in the way. And Diocletian did everything he could to get such people out of the way. So really, in a very real way, he is a master politician who is administrator, who is trying to build up what he sees, his society, this monument, this thing, and the Christians are getting in the way. They're causing a problem, so he just wants them gone. Yes, Yes, you see, you see the logic of it. There's a certain logic to what this man believes. Uh, there's a certain consistency in his actions. His actions flow from his principles. We recognize now that his principles were deeply flawed and, in fact, would be fatal to the Roman system. Well, there have been other Diocletians, haven't there, throughout history then? If we're going to use that, I mean, and I can think of kings and emperors— who essentially exhibited the same type of behavior towards the church. Get rid of the church because you're interfering with our ruling of the system that we've put in place to serve the society. Yes, and they, uh, uh, you know, their bad example uh, often often sets the course for terrible, 
terrible patterns in history and then gives us uh, horrors that we continue to live with for centuries afterwards. If we look at what happened in the time of Henry VIII, for example, who was a Catholic and then committed apostasy so that he could have his way and declared himself supreme head of the church in his country. In order to carry this out, he had to declare himself supreme head of the church, and he had to create, or at least his successors would have to create, the first police state in human history. The first state that tried to get into your mind, get into your conscience, and force you to violate that conscience. We find that that arising in the time of Elizabeth I. So yes, these these persecutors, they want to have their way. They they put all their strengths behind this program. They they create systems of horror. And sometimes we're living with those systems as I said for centuries afterward. Yeah, I mean you you see it over and over again exactly. Elizabeth I, I mean she wasn't the virgin queen. She was the she should have been bloody the bloody queen. Yes. When you look at that, I mean, when you, we just don't hear those stories as often and maybe as, as much as we should, but we also see that in other parts of history, even in the 20th century, some of those, I'm thinking of Joseph Stalin, even Adolf Hitler, Diocletian could, would you say, be ranked in that type of a genocidal atrocities? Yeah, it, I, absolutely. You know, the, we, we find that in all of these cases, the chief authority in matters of, of religion is the state. And anyone who would question the state is an enemy must be wiped out. So that's the case over and over again, um, where, where you find a Stalin or a Hitler asserting authority over religious believers and carrying it out in a, in, in a bloody way. Diocletian showed the possibilities of such a persecution, and others have, have simply followed his, his example, I believe. Uh, they, they try to avoid a public show because they learn from the example of Diocletian that the blood of martyrs is, is the seed of the church and that these martyrs live on in memory for a long time afterwards. So they try to hide what they're doing to some degree. But they're certainly following the example of this uh, model that was set as the third century turned to the fourth. Okay, here's the tough question. What is the Christian to do? The Christian, uh, you know, is to to persevere in faith, uh, to persevere in prayer, to live a sustained and disciplined life of prayer. Uh, the early fathers taught that we should not put ourselves forward for martyrdom. And as a matter of fact, in the one of the in the earliest account we have of a martyrdom, uh, the martyrdom of Polycarp, it's called, we find that people who put themselves forward often lose nerve because they're doing this in a moment of pride. They consider themselves worthy of the office of martyr, and they consider themselves courageous enough to endure to the end. Well, some of these people who put themselves forward then lost the will later on. We should not put ourselves forward as martyr. Instead, we should just strive for fidelity Strive for fidelity day to day. Try to keep ourselves and our families safe from persecution. But if the persecution comes, we should be prepared for it, and we should know that that God will be with us in our moment of trial, and that we will endure if we if we just fall back on our patterns of prayer, the disciplines of prayer that we established in easier times. We need to be faithful to prayer not just now and then, then, not just on Sundays. It has to be an integral part and indeed the central part of every day we spend on earth. 
if we don't, if we don't submit ourselves to the disciplines, we will not be prepared. We will not have the habits that we need in times of trial. You know, this, this is what we should learn from the early martyrs. The disciplines of the church are put there not to give us a hard time, but to give us a good time and to ease our way to heaven. Mm. Well, may all those holy men and women pray for us. Yes, yes, as we face our own difficulties, as we face our own challenges. Often people call these things persecution in our time. Often people refer to, to these metaphorically as, as martyrdom. When we feel a little bit of the pinch in our country, but we are not suffering the way people elsewhere on earth are right now, we should be praying for them that they, they'll have strength. But we should also be following their example as we, we try to be strong in our own country and to, to stave off any worsening of persecution in our land. Amen. Mike Aquilina, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for, for having the conversation, Chris. You've been listening to Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina. To hear and or to download this episode along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Villains of the Early Church and How They Made Us Better Christians with Mike Aquilina.